Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Reliable Witness. Now, here's Bill Almack. This week is part two of our series, Prepared, Defending Your Faith Without Losing Your Mind. And today we're talking about reliable witness. Now, remember last week what we talked about, drive-by questions, right? People that just kind of come by, they throw out a question, they throw out a barb, and they don't really want an answer. They just are kind of... Digging into you. Oh, so you're religious, aren't you? Oh, you don't believe all that stuff in the Bible, do you? There's some weird stuff in there. And these questions kind of throw you off balance. And you don't know how to answer. And before you even have a chance to answer, the the conversation goes on to something else. And you're just left standing there like, what happened? You don't know what to do. And so we talked about how to have an answer for that, right? How to have an answer for that uncle or that father-in-law that every Thanksgiving they hit you up with the same things. Well, and then what he's really trying to say is, I've thought about this God thing, and it's not for me. So we're not going to talk about it. So he throws out these three barbs, and he's kind of defending his turf, and you don't know what to do and what to say. And we looked at what... Peter told us to do. Remember this verse, 1 Peter 3.15. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. You don't have to defend the entire Bible. You don't have to defend God. Now some of us that comes as a shock. Because we were told that we were Christian soldiers and we were warriors and we were here. And no... God's here to defend you. We got the wrong way around. God's been doing fine for thousands and millions of years without us. I'm sure He's got it handled. Okay? So you don't have to defend all this stuff. You just have to have a reason for the hope you have. Why do you believe? Why do you believe? So we worked on a little answer maybe. These were my words, but maybe you would have words that were similar to this. It says, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin and rose from the dead. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. And so when these questions come up and somebody says, man, that's weird, man. How do you believe that? You say, yeah, I know, that's tough, man. But I know this. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. All right? So this week we pick it up with the, it's better than that. Okay? So we're talking about the Bible here. Now, if you grew up in a Christian, conservative Christian denomination like this one, you probably grew up thinking that this was an infallible thing. This Bible is infallible. You may have heard the word inerrant. There's no errors in this. It's perfect. It's beautiful. 
But somehow we, we get to this point where it seems to be indefensible. Because when you start talking about it, you don't know how to defend it. And people start asking you questions. And they say, what, what about this? I don't know. Well, what about that? I don't know about that either. Well, what about this? Well, don't you do this? No, we don't do that part. And pretty soon you just want to go, my mommy's calling me. i got to go now. (laughs) Because you don't know how to defend it. You don't know what to say about it. Now, I want you to track with me on this. Because some of you may go away with this and say, I can't believe he said that. And if you go away thinking that, I did a bad job today, okay? Because I tell you, sometimes it's hard when you do sermons because you spend all this time preparing for it and you've got like 20 minutes to get it all out. And so if I don't get it all out, that's my fault, it's on me. But track with me on this and listen to what I'm saying because people start asking hard questions about this and we start folding under the pressure. And I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer it. I don't know what to do. And it's not that we don't believe it, but we don't know what to do with it. And sometimes we can grow up in the church and we go away to college and we get into some college class and some professor starts picking at the Bible and he has some trick verse and he pulls that verse out and he says, that, look at that. And if that's true, are not true, then this whole thing is not true, and it all tumbles down like a house of cards. And people go to college, and we hear this many times, they lost their faith, right? They come back with that. There was a lady, Jessica Meisner, who about two years ago wrote some articles about that. It was called, Why I Miss Being a Born-Again Christian. When she was a young person, she spent about six years believing that she was a Christian. She did all the stuff. The Baptist uh, church, a very traditional church, won all this stuff. Got to college, and exactly what we talked about happened. Professors started poking holes in what she believed, and it all came tumbling down like a house of cards. And she wrote some articles, and they were funny and humorous, but yet serious at the same time, because she was asking some really hard questions of, what do we do? And she talked about things she missed about being a Christian, even though she no longer considered herself a Christian. And look at this quote from her. It says, We evangelicals, with our infallible view of Scripture, ripped from our hands, were left gasping for air. Because if you crumple and toss out a literal reading of the Bible, then what does it mean to talk about Jesus literally dying for your sins? See? And so she has a problem because she believes that this is perfect and it's infallible and somebody pokes a hole in it and the whole thing crumbles. Okay? And we've heard of this happening, right? We know people that this has happened to. Maybe it's happened to us. And we don't know what to do. And, you know, you, you come to somebody and you say, you know, I believe God's Word. And they say, well, you know, doesn't it say in there that you're supposed to stone immoral uh, women and, and burn children? Um, well, yeah, but, you know, we don't do that. Oh, so you pick and choose what you do. Well, no, it's not like that. That's Old Testament. You know, that's old stuff. Oh, so you don't... Do the Old Testament, just the New Testament. You, you, you just do what you want to do. I don't know. My mommy's calling me. I've got to leave now. 
Because we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do because we've been taught the wrong thing. Okay? Now track with me on this. We've been taught the wrong thing. See, because we were taught that this was what our faith is in. And it's not. It's a book. Okay? Now, now, stay with me. Stay with me. Think back to when you became a Christian. Okay? Maybe that happened when you were a child. Maybe that happened recently. I don't know. But did somebody come up to you and go, here's the book of Genesis. I want you to read this. And you read it. Man, that's great. You got any more? Yeah. Here's Exodus. Read this. Fabulous. You got any more? Well, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, that's all pretty bad. Hey, Joshua. Read Joshua. And you, this continues through the whole Old Testament. And you get to the end of the Old Testament, and they go, isn't that great? And they're like, yes, you're now a Jew. And you believe everything the Jews believed. Now there's 400 years of silence. Now we start with the New Testament and read all this. And when you get all the way to the end, you go, now you're a Christian. Is that how anybody here became a Christian? No, not a single person. That's not how it works. Somebody told you about Jesus. And you put your faith in Jesus. And then somebody went along and said, look, here's a book that talks about what we know about Jesus. Your faith is in Jesus. Not the book. It's a book. Okay, now, this is a wonderful book. This is a great book. I highly recommend everybody read this book. But your faith is not in a book. It's in Jesus. Okay? Look at what Jesus said about the Scriptures. And I feel like I skipped something. No? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. See, we Christians, we take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus took it seriously. When Jesus was here on earth, He walked around, and what did He do? He quoted the Scripture. And there's stuff in the Old Testament that, I'll be honest with you, is tough to deal with. It's tough to understand. It's tough to deal with. But Jesus took it seriously. So I take it seriously. We get to the creation story, and people have all kinds of problems with it. couldn't be six days. It just can't happen. It's got to be six billion years. I don't know. But Jesus took it seriously, so I take it seriously. Okay? Look at what Jesus says about the Bible. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus took this seriously. What's more compelling? I believe in the story of Adam and Eve because it's in the Bible. Or I believe in the story of Adam and Eve because Jesus believed in the story of Adam and Eve. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you? Well, no. Well, he believed it, so I believe it. Right? That's the more compelling story. And there's crazy stuff in the Bible. Now, some of you are going to say, no, wait a minute. This is the book that talks about Jesus. And you say, Jesus believed this book, so isn't that just circular logic? No, it's not. And let me tell you why. You know what Bible stands for, what that word means? What does it mean? Books. It means books. And in fact, we know that it's 66 books. Okay? We have the Old Testament, we have the Gospels, and the New Testament. Okay? 
Now, what makes these books be reliable, be something that we trust? Is it because they're in here? No. These were trustworthy before this existed. And they were believed to be reliable, so we gathered them up and put them in here. They are not reliable because they're in here. They're in here because they were reliable. Make sense? Remember in college, you had to buy that big book of short stories. It's like 40 or 50 bucks for this stupid book of short stories. You read like four of them, right? And the teacher said, this is the greatest collection of short stories ever. Well, what made them the greatest collection? Because they're in the book? No, they were great short stories before. Somebody gathered up all the great short stories and put them in the book. They were great, and that's what got them in the book. Being in the book doesn't make them great. Okay, These were considered reliable before they were in the book. And so people gathered them up and put them into the book because they were written by eyewitnesses. In particular, the New Testament is written by eyewitnesses and friends of eyewitnesses. Luke says, I investigated these things. Okay? Now I want to tell you a story real quick. Never have enough time. Real quick. One date that you should know, it's not in the Bible, that we probably didn't talk about too much in school, is A.D. 70. Anybody know what happens in A.D. 70? One person. Two? Huh? Yeah, Jerusalem, all right. So it was at the end of what is now called the First Jewish War. And this war lasts about six years from beginning to end. And we don't talk too much about it, but we really should. So what happens is the Jews start rebelling against uh, the Roman um, op- uh, occupation, you know, and they're tired of, of being under Roman rule. And so they start fighting and having skirmishes and rebellions. And depending on what side you're on, you look at this differently, right? If you're a Roman, you think these guys are terrorists. If you're Jewish, you think these guys are freedom fighters, right? So depending on what side you're on, you kind of look at them differently. But these battles start going on. So Rome does what Rome does best. It sends its top general, Vespasian, and the army to quell the rebellion. So he starts going through the towns and the cities, quelling the rebellion. And all these Jewish fighters are kind of staying in front of the army. Eventually, they get pushed into Jerusalem. They storm Jerusalem. They overrun the garrison. They kill all the Romans. They are in control of Jerusalem. They then split up the army, and some of them go up to the fort of Massad, a hilltop fort, where Herod had put in a cache of weapons. They overrun Massad. They take all the weapons. They leave some people there to control Massad. They come back to Jerusalem. And now these freedom fighters are in control of Jerusalem. They've got weapons. They've got food. They've got three walls to protect them. And eventually, Vespasian and the army show up. And he says, why don't you guys give yourself up? And we have probably the first recorded use of the, nah, Why don't you come get us? 
because we're sitting pretty good in here. So, you know, the Romans set up an encampment around Jerusalem and began the siege on the city. And they tried to break through the walls. They tried going over the walls. They tried digging under the walls. And they keep continually getting repelled by the fighters. Now, unless you think these Jewish fighters are just a bunch of farmers, these guys were fierce. In fact, they would open the city gates, run out, and attack the Romans, and then run back inside and lock up the gates. These guys were, were warriors. They were not afraid to fight. And so Rome is setting up out there. Well, now what happens is the Roman emperor dies, and Vespasian goes back to be emperor. And he puts his son, Titus, in charge of the army. So now Titus is in charge of the army. Titus is tired of living in a tent, so he ups the game. They dig 42 miles of trench works around the, the city of Jerusalem. 42 miles of ditch. I want you to think about that. By hand. No backhoes. 42 miles. How far away is San Diego? No, I don't think it's 80 miles, isn't it? I'd say it's about 50, 60 miles. So almost a ditch, almost all the way to San Diego. That's, that's a ditch, right? So we're down there. He's, they're digging this ditch. They're going on. Um, they, they continue the fight, and it, it's not going well. They can't get through the walls. So he ups the game again. He builds a four-mile wall that's kind of like a scaffolding. And any Jew they catch, they torture and kill and hang on the scaffolding. So that the people inside the city, when they look out, what do they see? A four-mile wall full of dead bodies. Eventually, the Romans build this massive battering ram. And they make their way through the first wall. And they make their way through the second wall. And eventually, in August of 70 A.D., they make their way through the third wall. And the Romans are mad. Because they have been living in tents for two, three, sometimes four years. Now, I know it's called the Holy Land. But in the summer, it gets as hot there as someplace that's kind of unholy. And in the wintertime, it snows. And this whole time, they're living in tents. And the Jews are living fat and happy in their houses in the city. And the Romans are mad. And so they storm into the city, and they just begin to kill everybody. It doesn't matter. Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. They just begin to hew them all down. Somehow in the fighting, the temple catches on fire. The Romans rush in, grab all the valuables out of the temple, and the temple burns. After the fire's out and after everybody's dead, Titus rips apart the temple. No two stones are left on top of each other. Because they viewed the temple as the epicenter of the rebellion. And they said, if this is going to make you rebel, you're not going to worship here anymore. And 70 A.D., August of 70 A.D. is the day ancient Judaism died. If you've ever wondered why Jews don't continue to offer burnt sacrifices, 
It's because there's no temple left to offer the sacrifices at. And today you can go there and you can go to Jerusalem and you can see the Temple Mount and you can see where the temple was and there is no temple there. And there hasn't been. Now, we have an eyewitness of this that recorded some of it for us. This is Josephus. Now, if you remember Josephus, a historian, wrote a lot for us. He was a Jew, became a Roman sympathizer, but he wrote a lot of the history that we know of this time. And he was there, and look what he says. The slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle from without. Men and women, old and young, insurgents and priests, those who fought and those who entreated mercy were hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. The legionnaires had to clamor over heaps of dead to carry on the work of extermination. Now, Josephus says that about a million people died. Modern historians say that that was probably an exaggeration. It was probably only 300,000. Only. 300,000. There's 150,000 people in Downey. So all of the city of Downey twice died in those couple of days. That's a pile of bodies. So, why am I telling you this wonderful story? Isn't this a great story? Let's finish the story first, and I'll tell you why I'm telling it. So the Romans take everything out, and Titus goes back to Rome about 1,500 miles away with all the spoils of war and about half of the army. The other half of the army goes to Massad to take back the fort. It takes them two more years to take back the fort. And just before they break through and are going to take back the fort, all the Jews that are inside kill themselves because they would rather die than live under Roman rule. So this is the kind of fighters they were fighting. I mean, this is a tough war to win. So Titus goes back to, to Rome. His father gets sick, dies. Titus becomes emperor. He doesn't last very long, and he gets sick and dies. And his brother Domitian becomes emperor. And he wants to do something to remember Titus by. So they build a big arch for him. And you can see it there, right? I thought maybe... I had a pointer, but I guess not. Um, but right there in the middle, you can see the arch. There's the big arch and how big it is. You see the person standing next to it. And if you look right up on this side here, just before the arch starts, there's an, uh, there's an engraving there. And you know what's on that engraving? Romans bringing back the spoils of war from the temple. You can see the menorah and the table and the temple's the goods from the temple. What did they remember about Titus, the most important thing? He quelled the rebellion of the Jews. This was a huge, huge deal to Rome. Obviously, it was a huge, huge deal to the Jews. And you know what? There's not one word of it in here. How come? Because that happened after all of this had been written. Okay? Now there's some people that out there, that, you know, you find experts on everything. And there's some experts out there that will tell you the Bible was written hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus lived. I don't believe that. Because if it was, you would use this event. You would say, you know, Jesus said that in three days I'm going to tear this temple down. And he did. 
right? You would say, look, this was God's wrath on the Jews. There would be some way to use this event to promote a Christian agenda. And there's not one word of it in here. Why is that important? See, Jesus dies in about 33 A.D. This happens in 70 A.D. Quick for you math wizards, how many years is that? 37 years. Where are our graduates, man? Come on. 37 years about between these two events. And some people would say, well, 37 years is a long time. Yeah, if you're 37... Once you get past 37, that doesn't seem so long, right? I see all the people with gray hair going, yeah, that's not so long. <laughs> all the young people up here in front of me looking at me like, you're an idiot. 37's forever, okay? 37's not that long. 37 years ago, I was in high school. I remember things that I did in high school, right? When you go back to your high school reunion, you remember stuff you did. You remember stories that happen. You remember crazy Jimmy and what he did at the prom, right? You remember. And when you get together with your friends, you might remember different details of the story a little bit. But there's no doubt that crazy Jimmy did that weird thing at prom. We all remember, right? Now think about what the writers of the Bible who walked around with Jesus witnessed. You think they had any trouble remembering that? You think they sat around going, you know, was Jesus resurrected again? I can't remember. They killed him, but did, did he come back to life? I'm not sure if that happened. No. They remembered that event, right? And they wrote about it in here in a very short time after it happened within probably 37 years or less. We know that Paul goes back to Jerusalem and is executed by Nero. And we know that happens before any of this happens because they would have told him, don't go back to Jerusalem. The Roman army is there. They'll string you up on the scaffolding wall. But there's no mention of it because it hasn't happened yet. Why is this important? See, when this stuff was written and circulated, there were lots of eyewitnesses left. And if you had written something that wasn't true, people would go, wait a minute, that didn't happen. I was there. I saw it. Historians tell us that the way... uh, Excuse me. The way a story becomes a legend, right? We, we look back in history and there's legends of these people, you know. How does that happen? See, that takes about 80 years after the story happens because you have to wait for all the eyewitnesses to be dead before you can change the story. Have you noticed there's stories popping up now that say that World War II and the German Holocaust didn't happen? People say it didn't happen. Why now? Because all the eyewitnesses are now dying and dead. And before that, somebody could have said, look, I got the tattoo on my arm, man. I was there. It happened. But now there's nobody left to say that. And they look at the pictures and say, Photoshop. 
didn't happen. Right? Because all the eyewitnesses are gone. And when this is written, all the eyewitnesses are around. And they remember. And they look at that and go, yep, that's what happened. There were plenty of eyewitnesses that watched Jesus die and and Jerusalem be destroyed. 37 years is not that long. Okay? So, we believe what is in here because of when who wrote it and when they wrote it okay so what that leaves us with is we have this old testament and parts of it are wonderful and amazing parts of it are difficult to deal with and we don't know what to do with it sometimes but see jesus believed in it he quoted it he talked about it in fact in his bible it says don't add or delete anything from it Why do I believe in Jesus? Because it's in the Bible? No, it's better than that. It's because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul wrote about it. They were eyewitnesses to it. They saw it happen. They were reliable. When you go to court and somebody's been accused of something, what do they want? A witness. We have witnesses to what happened. Now, I, James would be enough. How many of you in here have a brother? Just your hands. Man, like three-fourths of us, all right? How much would it take for you, for your brother to convince you he was the Son of God? I don't think my brother would ever convince me of that. But Jesus convinced James... I'm telling you, if James believes it, that's good enough for me. He grew up with him. Nobody knew him better than James. If James believes it, I believe it. But it's not just James. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul. They all wrote about it. And they didn't write about what they believed. They wrote about what they saw. This is important because this is a reliable thing. So now, when somebody comes up to you and has this difficult question or this trick question, you can say, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. I believe it because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul say so. And they were reliable witnesses to what happened. And so many times we have put our faith in a book instead of in Jesus. Okay? My faith is not in a book. I don't want anybody going home and calling the conference and said, Bill said this book is not good track with me here this is a wonderful wonderful book my faith is not in this book my faith is in the fact that jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead and you could take the whole old testament away i don't care because 
The resurrection does not depend on that. It doesn't all come down like a house of cards because I can't explain one trick verse. See what I'm saying? Sometimes we have a a situation in our life where we're praying for, for an answer to prayer and it seems like God's not answering or God's saying no and we wonder what's going on and our faith fails. And it's because we've put our faith in our personal relationship with God. And my faith is not in my personal relationship with God. My faith is in the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins and was risen, was risen again. Okay? Now, I think a personal experience with God is a wonderful thing and everybody should have one. But that is not what my faith lies in. Because my personal experience is up and down and all over the place. Right? And God is not. Okay, so we have this now. If you've drifted away from Christianity because you weren't quite sure about what the Bible says, listen, you can come back. You don't have to. Some people tell you, you can't think if you're a Christian. You just have to believe. That's not true. That's not true. I encourage you to think. I encourage you to read this book and think about it. It's great stuff. And if there's parts you can't understand, it's okay. There's parts I don't understand too. There's parts that are difficult to deal with. But that doesn't bring the whole book down. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? All right? It's important for each of us. We take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus took the Old Testament seriously. I take Jesus seriously because of the resurrection. I take the resurrection seriously because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul said so. And they suffered for it. All of those people died for what they saw and were willing to tell others about. Not for something they believed in that they thought might be true but for something they witnessed and were willing to die for. And that's why it's reliable. So the question is, what do you believe? And can you express it in a couple sentences so that you can tell your friends when they ask those hard questions? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to express why we have hope in you, Lord. The blessed hope, because I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that can express that to our friends and our relatives and the people around us with grace and mercy, not beat them over the heads with it. Lord, help us to understand what it means to have our faith in You. And we have reliable witnesses that tell us that these things are true. Lord, thank You so much for keeping this wonderful book for us all these years so that we can learn from it and we can learn more about You and Your character from it. 
Lord, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.